We're going to open our Bibles, uh, or you can turn your device on if you want to do it that way. The words will also be on the screen behind me. Uh, but we're in 1 Corinthians. I think Gary told you last week, we're going, to be, we're going to be staying in 1 Corinthians for several months, and we're going to be exploring in all kinds of different ways through the lens of this book, um, the first part of our new vision, which is what does it look like to be a people uh, who live with deeply connected lives, um, deeply connected to one another um, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus. So today we want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Listen now for the word of God. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Let's pray together. Father, we come to, to listen for your voice as we open your words. Bring us beyond education. Bring us beyond uh, moral formation. Bring us to that place where we are encountering you, the living God. We believe you are here. We believe you speak. We believe you love us. And so as we pray, come Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to everything you would do within us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I think I probably told you guys this, at Christmas we got a new puppy. We just, you know, kicked the cliche out the window. Puppy's not for Christmas, turns out it is. Um, and I've got a photo of him. Look at that. We have babies and puppies today. Like we're just going after the cute factor immensely. How cute is he? He's great. Um, we actually have two dogs now. We have a six-year-old Cocker Spaniel who is still the boss, just about. And we have Brody. Sorry, this is, the other one's Brody. This is Boaz, um, who is now 14, 15 weeks kind of thing. So, and then he's doing well. He's doing well. One of the interesting things, lots of interesting things from you know, barking, look it up at half five in the morning to accidents in the house to chewing 
Air Force Ones, some of you know what that is, um, all kinds of things. But one of the interesting things of having a new puppy in the house, now having two dogs in the house, you could set your clock by this. See at five o'clock, these two dogs, on pro we could be lying watching TV, we could still be out of work, trying to help the kids with homework. At five o'clock on the button, Brody and Boaz head to the utility room where their dog bowls are and sit down and kind of look. <laughs> now, they have no watch on. We're not standing there to tell them it's time to get fed. And there's no food. The bowl's empty. The dog bowl's empty. But at five o'clock, something in them says, oh, it's dinner time. And they rock up at the empty food bowls and look at us with these puppy eyes. And you feed them. Anybody else have a dog that sort of knows the time like that? Yeah? It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Well, what I want you to see, though, is for the pups, for the dogs, they stand before the empty bowl. And the fact that there is no food in the bowl doesn't reveal to them an absence. The fact that they have this hunger and this desire within them points to the reality that there must be food to fill that desire so they go to the place where they know they're going to be filled. The fact the bowl's empty does not tell them there is no food. It tells them there must be food to meet that innate need that they're feeling so they go to the place where they know they're going to get filled. Do you see that? Give me a yes, Gareth, or a what? Are you talking about, Gareth? You see that? That, this whole teaching hangs on you understanding that illustration. C.S. Lewis talked about it like this. He said, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Lewis goes on to say, If I find, my, find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I have an innate desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, it points to the reality of something beyond myself and something beyond this world that is there to meet that need. Desire, innate desires like that are proof of the divine. For those who are theology geeks and want to go further with this, it's part of what's called the teleological argument. I'm not going to use that word again because most of you are going, oh, but there you go. See, this passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you, you think it's about spiritual gifts because whoever has edited the NIV has put a title at the top saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, so you think the passage is about spiritual gifts. And it is. But more than that, and more importantly than that, it's about human emptiness and human brokenness and the desires that we all feel deep within us and about a God who is compassionate. He tells us that. A God who, who loves us more than we know ourselves. A God who, who created us, who has what we need to fill those desires, who is what we need to meet those desires. That's what this past is about. 
And so we're going to look at it for a few minutes at a personal level, and then we're going to look at it for a few minutes at a congregational level, and we'll finish with a story, and we'll pray, and we'll sing. So at a personal level first. I'm sure I've told you this story before, but I can't think of a better way to explain this. Um, Verses two to three, that's where we're following along with if anybody's taking notes this morning or their Bible open. But the story. I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. Uh, My mom became a Christian a year or two before that um, through a miraculous healing of my grandfather. She gave her life to Jesus and is still walking with the Lord um, since then. My sister became a Christian. I became a Christian at summer camps. Um, and then my dad kind of teetered on the edge for a long time. He was reluctant to give in to it. So he was. Um, he would have came along to church. He had a belief in God. But he would never call himself a Christian. He would never take that step of becoming a Christian. And then one evening, a friend of his was at the house, a guy who was a missionary, who was a Christian And he said to him, Kenny, what's stopping you taking that step of becoming a Christian? You you, you believe all the stuff. What's stopping you taking that step? And dad said, I look around church and I see people who get things wrong, who are hypocritical, who mess up. And I look at my own life and I know that I do those things as well. And I don't want to call myself a Christian till I get those things sorted out. I'm not good enough to be a Christian, but if I could get those things sorted out, then I would maybe think about taking that step of becoming a Christian. The missionary friend of ours said to dad, um, do you remember when Gareth, me, son, um, was tiny and was learning to walk and he was toddler, you put him on his feet and you stepped back a bit and he kind of took a step towards you and then he fell over because I I was slow, I wasn't a fast learner. He says, what did you do? Did you smack him, tell him off, leave him alone because he got it wrong? Dad said, no, I I picked him up. I dusted him down, put my hands around him and I helped him take another go and I caught him this time when he went to fall. And we kept doing that again and again and again until he got it right. And he says, sometimes I'm still catching him. Because parents, we're always parents. And the missionary friend said to my dad, that's exactly what it is with God. He doesn't wait for you to learn to walk He puts you on your feet. He catches you when you fall. He lifts you back up again and he keeps doing it your whole life. It's called grace. It's called grace. You see, my dad had an awareness of his own guilt, an awareness of his own imperfection, an awareness that he wasn't perfect and it was the guilt that was stopping him coming to God. But ironically, That guilt that he was feeling was a signpost to the reality of God. If I'm feeling this sense of of guilt and shame and something in me knows it's not right, that innate need, that innate feeling, that innate hunger points to the reality of one who can make it right. We are not made to linger in guilt and shame. We are made for something more. The guilt and shame in our lives is actually a signpost to a God who came to us in the person of Jesus. He lived on this earth. He lived the same lives that we live, but he lived it perfectly. And then when he was about 33 years old, he opened his arms, he died on the cross and his death wasn't just a physical human thing, but at a supernatural level because it was God on the cross. He paid the price for our sin. He was Jesus, the Lamb of God, like we were singing, who takes away the sins of the world. 
That's who God is. The reality that we, we feel guilt and shame and we, we need that to be dealt with points to the one who can deal with it. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin are death. We know that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This passage, it is about gifts. It is about gifts. But it's primarily about the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit can give us. And that is the ability to see not just our sin, but to see the one who can take our sin away. To see the one who can deal with our sin. What does he say? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You feel the need and God's gift to you of the Holy Spirit is lifting your eyes to the cross to Jesus, to the reality of the God-man who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away your sins and gives you that forgiveness and that peace that you are hungry for and desperate for. Some of you are here today and you're living with that same guilt and shame. I know some of your stories, but not all of your stories. But you wake up feeling this, my life's not right. Carrying regret, carrying shame, carrying incompleteness within you. Longing for something more. That, that need within you points to the compassion of God and the goodness of God and the gift of God that is Jesus Christ who wants, yes, even this morning, to take away your sin, to forgive you, to call you his own. The need points to the reality beyond ourselves of one who can fill that need. Maybe your need is guilt and shame, but maybe your need's something different. Maybe you're here today and, and it's, it's a fear of death. This is, this is a really, real, or really, I should not preach for a living, a really real thing. For a lot of people, they live with this fear that one day life is going to come to an end and there is an abyss beyond that that they can't see and that they have something in them that says, this doesn't feel right. Death feels like an intrusion. It can't just be the end. Is this all there is? And they live with this fear and uncertainty around death. The need, the innate need within you points to the reality of one who can meet that need. The Bible tells us that God loved the world and loved you and loved me so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not fall off the end into the abyss, but will have the gift of eternal life. The Holy Spirit gives you the gift of being able to say, Jesus is Lord. He wants to give you eternal life. Death is not the end. The need points to the one who can meet the need. Maybe you're, you're here today and you're, your life's just racked with insecurity and loneliness. You're not meant to be alone. Maybe you're searching for, for connection and intimacy and all kinds of relationships and some work for a while, and, but even the ones that work still leave you with a feeling there must be more than this. It's because you're created for 
relationship to be part of family with God who is family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 17 said, Father, my prayer for them is that just as I am in you and you are in me, they will also be in us. We are created for community with, with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The need points to the reality that there is one out there who can meet the need in us. Maybe it's a lack of purpose. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life in all its fullness. He is the key to your deepest purpose. He is the key to you living your best life. The innate need within us points to the reality of a God who who made you, who loves you, who knows what you need and opens his arms on a cross and says, come, come and receive the gift that is Jesus Christ. Come, and as the Holy Spirit gives that gift, you can say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. St. Augustine, the church father, said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. There's an invitation this morning for you to be honest about that thing within you that just wrecks you. And to lift your eyes from the guilt or the fear or the loneliness or the whatever it is to the one, and I want to suggest the only one who can meet that need in you. God's greatest gift to you is the Holy Spirit's work in your life that enables you to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's at a personal level. Let me talk at a congregational level for a minute. Take a breath. You all good? Still with me? Okay. Verses four to 11, that's where we are for the second part of this. I've been here five and a half years. We've talked a lot about this passage about spiritual gifts, haven't we? Yeah? Yeah, we have. And it's not a new thing. Ken, who was the minister before me for 30 plus years, he he talked about it quite a bit as well. It was a big thing for him. It's in the Bible. It's got to be important. In this passage, Paul, the author, gives us a list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, just a really quick summary. A gift of the Holy Spirit is not an ability you were born with that you develop. Abilities are one thing, but the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit moves into your life and gives you certain gifts. Some of them are on the screen behind me. It's not an exhaustive list. It's different from an ability. And it's different from a preference. It's not, oh, I prefer doing that. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives you. In 1 Corinthians, where we are, you see some of those gifts. Romans 12 has others. Ephesians has others. 1 Peter has others. They're not exhaustive lists. There's more. Like a muscle, they need to be grown. Anybody joined a gym in January? Be honest, go on. Anybody who goes to the gym having their head done in by all the January gymmers? Yes, preach it, brother, hallelujah. There we go, absolutely. Don't worry, by February they'll be gone again. It's okay, don't panic. Um, Sorry, I've been cynical, I shouldn't be. Um, But if you haven't been to the gym, you haven't done exercise for a while, you think January, going to join the gym, going to take a running, download couch to 5K, whatever it is. 
Even if you've done it before a few years ago and you do it, it doesn't stay with you. It's not like riding a bike. You go out for a run and you haven't run in two years, you need a defib machine with you. It takes a minute or two for it to get going again, doesn't it? Because with exercise, with our muscles, we have to continuously use them to develop them. Otherwise, not only do they not grow, actually they, they retract back. Spiritual gifts are the same. When I was 17, my minister at the time, Danny Rankin, he said, Gareth, we're having a youth service in church. Brilliant, love it. I want you to preach. And Danny, I'm 17. Are you mad? Uh, he goes, no, I really want you to do this. I think it's something you should be doing. It took me another about 10 years to work that out as fact. And that first sermon I preached, see, looking back on it, the, the only thing I got right was saying yes. The sermon itself was a disaster. You would never, ever preach it again. But Danny saw in me the beginnings of a gift of the Holy Spirit that he wanted to nurture, and he knew the only way to nurture it was to use it. And to use it, and to use it, and to use it. So I preached for Danny. Interestingly, he didn't ask me to preach again after that. No, in fairness, I moved on after that. Um, I, I, I moved down to Belfast. I got a job as a youth worker. And my boss in that church, Ron Savage, said to me, I want you to preach at the youth services because he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And then I went to train to be uh, a minister in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And I did my assistantship in Second Cumber and Roy Mackey said, I want you to preach every week. I'll do the morning, you do the evening, then we'll alternate the next week round. I'm going, Roy, you're a brilliant preacher. I'm rubbish at this. Nobody's going to want to come out and hear me preach. They want the A team, not the Z team. And he goes, no, but... They, they do because they're invested not only in what you say, they're invested in you growing in your spiritual gifts. And actually you doing that models to everybody else, it's okay to have a go even if it's not perfect. Didn't fill me with confidence, but it was good theology. And so I stand here today as someone who's been exercising that spiritual gift for an excess of 25 years and I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I could still do this better and I'm excited at the journey God has me on. You see, with this thing of spiritual gifts, there's two scales that all of us, you, me, exist on as we think about spiritual gifts. Let's put it up on the screen. The first one is a starting scale between cynical and convinced. I probably could have used better words, but they're okay. Some of you are deeply cynical about this passage. And some of you have moved along that line a bit and said, well, do you know what? Spiritual gifts were a thing, but they're not a thing anymore. They were around for a while when the Bible was being written, but only for about 100 years. You're not convinced they still exist today, but some of you are convinced. Some of you think, this is what the Bible says. As I read the scriptures, that's what I believe. That God gives spiritual gifts to the people of his church for the building up of the church. Take a second and orientate yourself somewhere on that scale with no judgment, just where you currently are today. The second scale I want to bring the convinced people along to is from curious to confident. For a long time, I had a theology of spiritual gifts, but I had no idea how to go about using them or finding mine out or developing them. Anything got there? So maybe you're convinced about the theology, but you're curious about what yours might be or how you use it. And there's a journey there along a scale to, I'm confident I can say, these are the gifts that God has given me and this, these are the places that I'm using them. Take a second just and orientate yourself on that second scale as well. 
to the cynical, to those in the early part of that top scale. My encouragement to you, I'm not, it's not judgment because we're allowed to have different ideas about things, but my encouragement to you is to, to dive into the Bible. Don't rush to read other people's thoughts about it. Don't rush to read other people's theology on it. Read the story of Scripture and with word and spirit, see what God is saying to you. Other people's theology, Christian books, have great benefit but not in excess of what the Bible says. So in 2024, I have a gentle encouragement to you as a church family. If you find yourself in that cynical place, just look at the text afresh and see what God is saying. To those of you who are convinced about the theology that God gives spiritual gifts but aren't really sure what yours are, um, there's a course we run around here called the Shape Course. It looks at... um, S, spiritual gifts, what they are, what they might be for you. Heart, what your passions are. Ability, what your abilities are. Personality, what your personality type is. And then your experience today. It tries to bring all those things together to help you identify how God has uniquely equipped you to serve others within his church. We'll look to run that again in the future. So keep an eye out for that. But if you want to jump ahead, go ahead and Google that. You can get it online so you can. And there's all kinds of surveys to help you start thinking and praying into what your spiritual gift might be. To those of you who find yourselves convinced and confident at that end of the scale, let me pose a searching question to you. See, there's something ugly and even narcissistic that seems to be happening in the Christian church, the Pentecostal church, the charismatic church at the minutes. And it's not unlike what was happening in the church 2,000 years ago that Paul writes to in Corinth. You see, in Corinth, what they were doing was they were, they, they, they believed in spiritual gifts, but they were elevating certain spiritual gifts above others. And the people who had them, they were saying, well, you must be more important. Especially the more supernatural feeling gifts. They're all supernatural, but the more supernatural feeling gifts. I worry we see that today in the church. People who have apostolic gifts, people who have prophetic gifts, people who can speak in tongues. Jeepers, even in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, we get this wrong. We put our ministers on pedestals because they have teaching and pastoral gifts and we think they're more important or they're better Christians than everybody else. Surely this is a direct rebuke to that mentality that we've had for hundreds of years in PCI. I'm no different than you guys. I mess up every bit as much as you guys do. Just my gift has me standing at the front. What's even worse, what we're seeing in some parts of the church is that those who have certain gifts, maybe in teaching, maybe apostolic, maybe prophetic are starting to believe that they have a direct line to God that nobody else has, and they're refusing to accept accountability or counsel from other Christians. And we're seeing Christian leaders fall from grace because they haven't listened to the wisdom of those around them. Yes, identify your gift, but don't elevate yourself above anybody else.
please. Wherever you are in these scales, if you are convinced and confident, if you're cynical, if you're confused, if you're somewhere in between, this is what I want you to see this morning. It's the most important thing. It's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Look at verses four to six with me if your Bible's still open. There are different kinds of gifts, but watch this. The same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service. That word's important, service. But the same Lord, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. We talk about the spiritual gifts that God gives us, but who's the one at work in giving the gift and the activation of the gift and the using of the gift? Who's the one at work? It's not rhetorical. Oh, really? The Spirit, God. God is. He gives them. He activates them. And he, even when it's your gift, he's the one that's using them. Look at verse seven with me. Now to each one, We've majored on this a lot around Orangefield. To each one, everyone gets to play. The priesthood of all believers. There's no B team. Everyone gets to play. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. A gift of the Holy Spirit is given. If you're here, if you're a Christian, you have at least one of these spiritual gifts. We've majored on that. But keep reading the sentence. For the common good. For the common good. Perhaps we haven't focused as strongly on that as we needed to. The NIV editors, they split these, this letter up into different sections and you've got the spiritual gifts bit and the next bit's about unity and diversity in the body of Christ. But, but actually it's all the same letter. It's all talking about the same thing. Paul lists the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then he says, do you know what it's like, guys? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a human body where there's eyes and there's hands and there's feet and there's nose and there's tongues and actually you need them all to work. And he's still talking about spiritual gifts as he says that. Look at verse 21 with me. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Can your eye touch things? Not without causing damage to it. It's kind of gross. You touch your eyes. The body has a need to touch things. The eye cannot meet that need. The eye has a need to touch things. So the body is given a hand that can touch things. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Flip it around. The eye needs the hand because the eye has a lack within it. The eye can't touch and feel. And so it needs the hand. And so God gives the body not just eyes but hands so that the lack, so the need can be met. This is the sentence. Spiritual gifts are given to the church by a God who is compassionate, a God who is a gift giver. Why? To meet needs in the people. Spiritual gifts are given to the church by God so God can meet needs in the people around the church and around the community. You see, the church has got fixated on the question, are gifts for now or not for now? And we've turned it into an intellectual exercise. It's about theology and theology is important, but this is even more important. And then the church has got fixated on the question, what's my gift? 
And in a culture that is so hyper-individualistic, it becomes almost narcissistic to fixate on that. Here's a better question for every one of us to ask. As you look around the church, what are the needs in the lives of the people you see around you? As you look around the people in this room, as you think of a few empty seats, the people who are at home watching, the people who aren't able to come to church anymore, what are the needs in the lives of the people who belong to Orangefield or the community around Orangefield? Are people sick and suffering? Does it not feel legitimate to say as you think of someone in that situation, God, give us the gift of healing that we can pray for people and see this sickness, this suffering taken away or eased? Are people lonely and isolated? God, give us the gift of hospitality that we can bring people together and, and build deeply connected lives. Is there a financial need? Yeah, there is. As we look at the bills and the cost of living crisis and everything over the past number of years, this year there is a, there's a 40,000 pound deficit in what we believe we're being called to do as a church and what we expect to bring in under current giving. And so we're gonna be writing to each member of the church to ask you to prayerfully consider what you and how you give this year. We haven't done this since before COVID because we haven't wanted to because we, we knew things were difficult for a lot of people, but we feel this is now the time. Is there a financial need? Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, give me, give us the gift of generosity. Give us the ability to give more. We don't know how we're gonna do that, but we trust, God, that you can. So that's my prayer. Do you feel a sense of frustration as you think about the systems around our church or the communication, does it, does it meet your need? Does it frustrate? Do you think it can be done better? Don't complain about it. Put your hands out and say, God, give me the gift of administration that I can step into this space and serve and help meet the needs in other people. Do you see loads of community work happening but, but not a whole lot of salvations yet? God, give me the gift of evangelism that we can see people come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And on and on and on, praying for breakthrough, on and on. Put that list back up again, will you, Andrew? Is it, is it there handy? The spiritual gifts list. As you look around the church, as you look at the lives of people that you walk with and sit beside and serve with, as you think about the brokenness and the need and the desires within them that point to the reality there must be something or someone who can meet those needs. This text says there is and he's called Yahweh. And the way he works or one of the ways that he works out his, his purposes in the world is that he gives people in the church gifts that he works through to meet the needs in others. I'm going to finish with a story and then I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite the band back up. Do you want to? Come up. Okay, I did know he was going to ask. Absolutely. No, I was just checking there. Um, 
Is it? I think so. Yeah, it is. There you go. Um, so many of you will be aware of the journey that Lara and we have been on this past year. Um, and I just thought I would give you an opportunity to share a little bit of that journey and what's been happening over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so many of you will know that I had a recent scan before Christmas. Um, and just to say thank you for all of your prayers um, the whole of last year, but particularly around that most recent scan. Um, but God is good. And back in January, I was told that I had cancer in my spine in two spots and in my pelvis. And I can stand here today, praise God, and tell you that it is no longer active. <laughs> um, there's still some here in the primary site where it started. Um, there's one tiny little lymph node left, and even it is now less active than it was um, during my last scan. So, there is a way to go, and we pray on, and we contend for it all. But I just really wanted to share that with you guys, that um, your prayers matter, and your prayers change things. Okay. This has been, and we've made no qualms about sharing it, probably the most difficult year, one of the most difficult years of our lives. Um, and we have been blessed by the most amazing consultant up at the hospital, by a quality of care and treatment by the NHS that we couldn't have got anywhere else. Uh, it has been absolutely incredible, our experience with that. Um, but also our experience with a church family um, here in Orangefield, but also wider than that as well. Um, we have seen the gift of hospitality practiced, as many of you have come around us, um, feeding and overfeeding us and making sure every need we had was met. Um, the gift of prayer as both up close and personal, but also from a distance. Many of you have carried us throughout the year and we've found strength to do things that we should not have been able to do. Um, the gift of encouragement um, at every step of the journey. And, and yes, the gift of healing in some people who came and faithfully laid hands on and prayed for Lara, we've seen some of those prayers answered. We wanted to share that story with you because we said at the start we were going on this journey together. Um, Sorry, as well. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Just on that, um, one of the things that I asked God to do at the very start of this um, was to deepen faith in our children. Mm -hmm. um, and just to share that you guys as a church family have modelled church beautifully to our family. Um, and how you have, they talk about the magic door, that things arrived at our door um, for many, many months. Um, how you've come into our home and prayed with us. How you have taken them for coffee and let them talk it through um, on their level as well. And how you've just been there to support them. And that is an, an absolute answer to prayer in my book. Awesome. Um, so we want to share the story with you. We want to ask you to continue to pray for Lara and for us, the family. We want to encourage you to be bolder in your prayers and your stepping out to use the gifts that God has given you to help other people in this church because our story is only one story. 
and we're sharing it not to, I hope, bring spotlight on ourselves, but to help you think of other people in the congregation who you need to come alongside and pray with and serve and love in the same way. Um, I'm going to pray. You stay here. See you Yeah, 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 that's it. I'm going to pray. And I, I'm simply going to pray the words that we read at the start of this sermon. Before we do, I want to invite you just to to look around, physically look around the building um, and pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, who maybe he is drawing your eye to, whose story, either in the building or at home, he's bringing to the front of your mind. There's so much need in this congregation. But God is incredibly able. We said we weren't going to start by saying, God, give us a gift. We're going to say, God, what is the need? And believe that God is the God who, who steps into those spaces. We're going to pray now. And if you have someone in mind, a need in mind, either specific or generally, I'm going to read through this list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to ask God to give you or to give someone in this church that gift. It's okay to ask. In fact, he says, knock and seek and ask and you will receive and you will find and you'll be given. Let's pray now. To each one, every single Christian here, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Thank you, God, that you do this. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge. To another faith, supernatural faith that can see the possibility for mountains to be moved. To others the gift of healing. To others miraculous powers. Prophecy distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, helping, encouraging, giving, generosity, administration, teaching, pastoring, apostolic work, evangelism, and more and more and more. God, you are more than capable of meeting the needs in your people. Not, not simply the wants, but the needs in your people. So Holy Spirit, come now. You are the gift giver. And I pray, bring clarity to the minds of people who, who are searching to know what their gift might be. Deepen the power and the effectiveness and the courage to use the gifts you have already given to people. And I pray, God, release new gifts in this moment. Our heart is to see faith deepened. Our heart is to see people say, Jesus is Lord. And we give ourselves to you, Lord, for that purpose, for that ministry. For those as well today, God, who 
who at a personal level feel that deep sense of need. Draw people around them who can pray for healing, can encourage, can bless in all kinds of ways. But for those here this morning who have just realized that maybe, maybe, maybe that need that they feel can only be met in you. If that's for you today, I invite you now to give your life to Jesus and become a Christian. Father, we, we believe in you. We believe that you, you, you sent your son Jesus to, to live, to die, to rise again, to forgive our sin, to give us the gift of eternal life, to for your spirit to make his home in our lives and to remind us each day that we are yours. And for those who need to pray that prayer for the first time or pray it afresh this morning, simply whisper with me now, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.